Amen. Thank you, brother. Great job as always. Appreciate your ministry. Good evening to all of you. Good to see you out tonight. So thankful that you've made the decision to come be a part of uh, the study of the Word of God this evening. I know it's a cold evening outside, but it's nice and warm here in the church house. And I'm glad that you, uh, you've come to be a part of this today, tonight. Good to see each and every one of you. I hope and pray that you've had a happy new year so far. For us who are Bama fans, we almost had a really good first day of 2024. Uh, but someone told me earlier this week, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, and they're right. And so, uh, but we press on, we move on, and uh, can't wait to see what God has in store uh, for this upcoming year. Looking forward to how the Lord is going to work on us, work in us, work through us. Can you say amen to that? And I hope and pray that that is, uh, that's your goal, to allow the Lord to have his way and have his will in your life, to worship him truly in spirit. And in truth, and we'll talk a lot about what that means this evening. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn them with me, please, back to Hebrews chapter number 11. That's what we're going to be looking at again this evening. If you remember the last time we were here in Hebrews 11, I talked to you about the first three verses. Um, and really what we were looking at then is what faith is. And our focus um, was on what faith does. And we started that just a little bit last time we were together. And for the rest of the, the chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, that's really what we're going to be looking at. What faith does in the life of a believer. Now, I'm thankful that I can tell you tonight that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer of the book of Hebrews has given us really a snapshot um, of the great men and women of faith since the beginning of time. And how God has worked on them, in them, and through them, and how they've lived by faith serving the Lord. And so what we need to do, what we must do, um, if we're going to be effective, is um, take inventory of their life. See how God used them. See how they followed the Lord and walked by faith. And then apply those truths to ourselves. And what we're really going to be looking at is what I like to call the hall of faith. It's what God gives us in his word about what faith and the life of his people is actually all about. So Hebrews chapter number 11. And what I want to do tonight is just start there in verse number 4. I don't know how much further we'll get after verse number 4 tonight. But um, we'll get just as far as we can. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 4. Look what the Bible tells us there. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being, de he being dead, yet he speaketh. So let's pray together tonight before we get started. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for who you are, so thankful for the truth of your word. And Lord, what we need above everything else is a fresh touch and anointing. What we need is to have you speak to hearts and change lives and do your work in our lives that's needed um, with, with each individual. You know what I need better than I know what I need. You know what we all need better than we all know what we need. So Lord, we're asking that you would have your way, you would have your will, you'd speak your truth, convict hearts where conviction is needed, and comfort hearts where comfort is needed. We're asking, Lord, that you speak to us clearly. And Father, may we be different when we leave here than we were when we came. We're asking tonight, Lord, that you would have your way and will. In Jesus' name we pray. 
and for your sake. Amen. So Abel teaches us in Hebrews chapter number 11 about what faith looks like worshiping. Now this is not the only place that you're going to see Abel in the New Testament. You see it at least in two other occasions and both of them are by the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 35 the scripture says Jesus himself said that Abel was righteous when his blood was shed. Now that's a uh, that's a huge statement coming from the Son of God and God the Son to call Abel a righteous man. Now why would he call Abel a righteous man? Because Abel was a man of faith. Abel looked forward in faith to the coming Savior just like we look backwards in faith to the Savior, Savior that has come. And so uh, whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, anywhere in between, Everybody that's ever been saved has been saved by faith, if you believe it, say amen. And that's really what the story of Cain and Abel is all about. And that's what uh, the Bible is teaching here in Hebrews chapter number 11. It was by faith that Abel offered his sacrifice. Now for us to really um, get a hold of what's being said here, I think what we need to do is go back to where we find the story of Cain and Abel all the way back to Genesis chapter number 4. So keep your bookmark there in uh, Hebrews chapter number 11 and flip back with me to Genesis chapter 4 and we're going to look there at the first 10 verses. Genesis chapter 4. Starting in verse number 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And so... Um, verse number two tells us, and she, and she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the first fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is this thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt, not be, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lies at your door. And unto thee shall be his, his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, Why hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. So there's two things that I really want us to see here tonight concerning Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. First of all, I want you to see the contrast in the styles of worship between Cain and Abel because that's what the Bible is teaching. Remember, Abel teaches us about faith worshiping. And so let's, let's look at how they differ. They're, they're, they, we know that uh, they differed greatly because God had respect for one um, way of worship and didn't have respect for the other way uh, that, that, that the brothers worshiped. And so worship is how we honor and interact with God. Now that's what, something that we need to understand and know um, from the beginning of this. We honor God and we interact with God through the act 
of worship. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, you remember that there was a sacrificial system that was put in place. Now, that sacrificial system was a way those people, again, worship by faith looking forward, just like we worship by faith looking backward. So it was through those sacrifices that there was a foreshadowing of the coming sacrifice, the true Lamb of God, that would take away the sin of the world. I want to give you a really good verse for that. It comes from Colossians chapter number 2. I know I've given it many times, but I want to keep giving it because it's so good, it's so powerful. Colossians 2 and verse number 17. Watch what the scripture tells us there. Colossians 2 verse 17. And now it's talking about all of those things that happened all the way through the Old Testament scriptures. We've talked about that repeatedly as we've studied the book of Hebrews. Uh, the sacrificial system under the law, all of that stuff uh, that happened under the Old Covenant is what it's speaking of here. It says those things are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So what the Bible is telling us is that all of that sacrificial system of worship throughout the Old Testament was a foreshadowing pointing to the coming Christ, pointing to the Son of God and God the Son who would one day come to save us from our sins. And so you need to understand that what we have in Genesis chapter number 4, the story of Abel and his offering by faith is actually in the shadow of the cross. Amen? It's pointing to the coming Savior. And that's the, the main thing that we need to glean from this tonight as we look to the Word of God. Now, I want you to understand that who we worship and how we worship matters. If you believe that, say amen this evening. Who we worship and how we worship matters a great deal. Have you ever heard someone say, and this is a popular teaching uh, in the world today, that as long as we're all searching for that quote-unquote higher power, that we're all headed in the same direction and we're all really going to end up in the same destination. That's a popular teaching today, that it don't matter, listen, really how you worship or who you worship, as long as we're all seeking, quote unquote, the higher power or God, uh, that we're all going to end up in the same place. Well, folks, that's not at all what the Word of God tells us. That's certainly not what the Word of God is teaching here in Genesis chapter 4, because evidently the worship of Cain and Abel mattered greatly. God was pleased with one and was not pleased with another. Listen, Jesus says the same thing in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse number 6, you remember the scripture? Jesus said to his disciples and to us and to the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, what I'm trying to tell you tonight, what the Bible is telling all of us tonight, is that there is only one way to God. That's it. You say, oh, brother, that's pretty, that's pretty old-fashioned. That's pretty dogmatic. Well, don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. If it's dogmatic, it's Jesus that's being dogmatic. If it's dogmatic, it's, it's the Word of God that's being dogmatic. And I don't mind being dogmatic if Jesus is dogmatic. Can you say amen? I don't mind standing on the truth of the precious, powerful Word of God. I know that in today's culture, in today's society, we're supposed to be tolerant. And yes, I, I want to be tolerant over certain things, but some things I can't move on. Some things I'm not going to budge on. When it comes to how we know God, the Bible is plain. The Bible is clear. Jesus is the only way. The only way. 
He says, I am the way, not a way. He says, I am the truth, not a truth. He said, I am the life, not a life. Now, if he had said a truth, if he had said a way, if he had said a life, then that would have left all other options to be considered. But he didn't say that. He makes it extremely clear for us and everybody else, he is the only way. Do not be afraid to stand on that truth. Do not be afraid to preach and teach that truth. Do we do it in love? Yes, but we must do it. I remember once upon a time, years ago, we went on a mission trip down to Mobile, and we worked down there at what's called the International Seaman Center. And it was a really cool mission trip. I, I loved it because it's a great ministry the Mobile Baptist Association's got going on there. They've actually got what's called the Seaman Center to meet the needs of sailors that sail into the port of Mobile. And so when all of these ships, cargo ships from all over the world, comes into Mobile Bay, uh, they'll actually go down to the, to the port and pick them up and, and carry them and, and let them get whatever they need as far as clothes and food and go shopping and do whatever they need to do. Let them use the phone and call home um, and, and let them do whatever they need to do before they go back to the ship. And, and while they're there, they just, they just love them and they just share Jesus with them. And so what was so cool about that ministry, you could sit right in Mobile and have people from all over the world come there and you get to share the gospel with them. And so we worked at the Seaman Center for a week uh, doing some work there around their campus. And then at night when all the ships would come in and, and the sailors from the port would call, they'd go down and get them, bring them back, and then we'd get to preach to them. And so a lot of the people that we preached to that week were from India. And we found out that the Hindu religion is very different from the Christian religion. I mean, extremely different. Let me tell you why. In the Hindu religion, there are thousands of gods. They're gods for, for everything. Uh, they're pantheistic and they are polytheistic. They serve and worship many false gods. And, and there's an element of the Hindu religion that speaks of pantheism, which means God is in everything. They believe God is in that chair and, and God is in that table back there and, and God is in, in, in everything in creation, in all matter. And so sharing with those people about Jesus being the only way really wasn't real popular. Now we saw God do a work and by God's glory, many people got saved that week and came to know Jesus as their personal Savior. I'll never forget that. They asked me, uh, when was it, honey? I guess the second day we were there. They called back down and said, um, hey, would you like to come down and, and share on the boat? One of the guys who accepted Christ on the Monday night when we got there he went back and told his friends what he had heard on the ship. And so they called us, the captain did, or called the people at the Seaman Center and said, would you like to come down and have service on the boat? And so we went down to the boat, and it was the coolest thing, man. I got to go on this huge cargo ship that was uh, it looked to be every bit of two or three football fields long. Uh, and, and we went in and preached to all the sailors that were working on the ship. That night, 17 people came to know Jesus as their personal Savior. I'll never forget that. What a blessing it was. Absolutely amazing to see God the Holy Spirit break men's hearts and change their life. And, and I've always wondered, you know, what happened 
on that ship on their way back to India, how God worked in that. And what happened when they got back to India, how God worked in that and their families and uh, what a blessing it was to be a part of that. But through all of that, I began to understand, listen to me, folks, just because you're quote, unquote, seeking God doesn't mean you're seeking the God of the Bible. Jesus said, there's one way, there's one truth, and there's one life. And I encourage you, children of God, stand on that. Preach that. Teach that. We've got to shout it from the rooftops. It may not be popular, but it's truth. We don't preach and we don't teach that which is popular. We preach and we teach that which is truth. And that which is truth is found on the pages of your Bible. If you believe it, say amen. You can trust it. You can live by it. You can learn from it. You can stand on it. So, there's a, it makes a difference how we worship. It makes a difference who we worship. Let's see the contrast in the different worship styles of Cain and of Abel. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4 there. And let's look down at, um, at, at verse number 2. And she again bears brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering under the Lord. The Bible says that Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. And so when it came time for um, Cain to bring his sacrifice, his act of worship under the Lord, well, he just brought all the firstlings the Bible said of his flock. So what is the way of Cain? Well, the way of Cain is about his own works as a human being. Laying them for the Lord and saying, okay, God, I'm bringing all this I've worked so hard for, and I want you to accept my offering as an act of worship. Cain, listen to me now, his way is an act of worship when it, through his own effort, through his own ability, through what he could do. Now, there's only one problem with that. That certainly does not point to the coming Savior and the shedding of blood, does it? I mean, if we all went by Cain's way and we all just tried to make ourselves right with God, which is exactly what religion is. How many of you know that religion, in my opinion, my, my definition of, of religion is man's feeble attempt to make themselves right with God by their own self-righteous actions. That's what Cain was doing. He was doing his best through his own effort and work to make himself right with God. To make his worship pleasing unto the Lord. But there's a big problem with that. All throughout the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 there in the garden. All the way the, through the end of Revelation. The Bible teaches over and over and over and over again. That a shedding of blood has to happen. For sin to be forgiven. We call it the scarlet, the scarlet thread that runs all the way through the word of God. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the book of Revelation. There always has to be a shedding of blood for sin to be covered or for sin to be forgiven. Always. 
Hebrews chapter 9. You'll remember this verse from our study of the book of Hebrews just a few months ago. Hebrews 9.22. Listen to what the Bible tells us there. Where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, sins cannot be forgiven. Listen, we cannot be redeemed. Now, when Cain brought his offering, what did he bring? Cain, when he brought his offering, he bought vegetables, right? One great pastor said it like this. How many of you know you can't get blood from a turnip? And he's right. You can't get blood from a turnip. And if the requirement for the forgiveness of sin was shedding of blood, if the requirement for the covering of sin was the shedding of blood, then guess what? Cain didn't bring what was right. He didn't bring what was acceptable. He didn't bring what pleased God. He didn't bring what pointed forward in faith to the coming Lamb of God that will one day take away the sin of the world. Cain's offering fell short because Cain's offering did not point to Jesus. Cain's offering was not an act of faith. He brought what he could do. He brought um, what he was able to accomplish through his own efforts. And folks, people still do that today. And this is still the question that happens, or the problem that happens with a lot of people who sit on church pews every Sunday. They think, man, if I just come to church enough, if I just uh, come to Sunday school enough and get my 15-year pen and, and, listen, do my devotion every day, and if I put money in the offering plate uh, when I'm able to and I do my best to help others, that I'm going to be okay. And they're always crossing these T's and dotting the I's and putting a check mark by all the good things they do. The only problem is the good things we do will never be enough. Did Cain work hard? Absolutely. He tilled the ground by the sweat of his brow. And I believe he brought some good-looking vegetables there before the Lord. But what he did in his own power wouldn't by faith. And it wasn't enough. Amen? And folks, what we can do in our power and ability is not enough. I remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter number 6, when the Lord gave him a vision of the throne room of God. Now, if there's ever been a good man, a man who adhered to the law according to the Old Testament, it was Isaiah. Go back and read about him. He was a man who by faith, listen to me now, applied the law of God to his life. He was a very religious man. He kept the law to the best of his ability. But one thing I'm amazed by, when he's standing there in the presence of God in his vision in Isaiah chapter 6, the first thing he says in God's presence is, I am a man of unclean lips. Now, what did, what did Isaiah realize? In God's presence, he realized how high, how holy, and how righteous God is, but he also realized how low and unrighteous he was. Even though he was very religious, even though he kept the law as best he could, he realized he needed God's mercy. 
That's what he called out for. Go back and read it. That'd be a great, great quiet time for you this week. Isaiah chapter number 6 about his throne room experience when God gave him the vision. It's amazing that when he stood in the presence of God who is holy, he saw how sinful he truly was. Folks, let me tell you something. What we do is not enough. Salvation is not about what we do, but who we know. And when we know Jesus, it'll change what we do. <laughs> As I've told you time and time again, I'm going to keep telling you. Good works are not the reason for our salvation. Good works are the result of our salvation. We can't do enough. Jesus has done it all. The price has been paid. And in him alone I trust. Cain's offering was not by faith. Cain's offering was about his own effort. About what he could bring. About what he could do. Let's look then at Abel's offering. The Bible says that uh, there in verse number 4... And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now again, why did God respect Abel's offering? Because it pointed to, in faith, the coming Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. It pointed to Jesus looking forward. Now let me ask you this. How do you think Abel knew what to bring? if you remember in verses 1 and 2 the Bible says that Adam knew his wife Eve and she bore a, a son called Cain and then in verse 2 it said and she bore another son and named him Abel so the parents of Cain and Abel are who? Adam and Eve well, do you remember what happened in Genesis chapter number 3? Genesis chapter 3 the Bible teaches that Eve sinned and took of the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil what God had commanded them they shouldn't do. And then the Bible says, then she took the fruit and gave to her husband and he did eat. So both of them broke God's law in the garden. And the Bible says that the transgression of God's law is sin. So sin entered the human race and entered the world thereby causing them to become spiritually dead. And, and the Bible says, then their eyes were open and they began to see their nakedness. Now, they became shameful of who they were, not because God's creation wasn't good, but because sin had entered the equation. Sin always brings shame. Always. And so they tried to sew some fig leaves together. You remember the story? They tried to themselves cover their sin. Mankind's always tried to do that. But the fig leaves were not enough. God still saw exactly what was going on. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that he came walking in the cool of the day and he called unto Adam and Adam and Eve hid from the presence of the Lord. But God is much better at hide-and-go-seek than Adam and Eve. 
And he's much better at hide and go seek than Israel. I've tried to hide from him a, t- a few times myself. But how many of you know, I can hide from you. And you can hide from me. But none of us can hide from the Lord. And the Bible says that God in his mercy made for Adam and Eve coats of skin and covered their nakedness, covered their shame as a result of their sin. God made a covering. What had to happen? Before he got coats of skin. Blood had to be shed. Those animals had to be killed. Where there is no shedding of blood. There is no remission of sins. That didn't just begin in the New Testament. That's always been the case since the garden. This has always been God's plan. This has always been God's way. And and listen to me. That's why the scripture says in the book of Revelation that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. It's always been pointing to Jesus. Amen? In eternity past, in eternity present, and all throughout eternity in the future, it'll always be about Jesus. Always. Now, how did Abel know to bring of the firstling so the blood could be shed? He learned it from his mom and daddy. I believe it was Adam and Eve who taught Cain and Abel how to properly, rightfully worship in spirit and in truth by bringing the right sacrifice. I don't think they just taught that to Cain, or excuse me, to Abel. I think they taught it to Cain too. I think both of them had heard over and over and over again about how God made them coats of skin and how God had promised that one day he would deliver them from the seed of the, by the seed of the woman. Amen? Isn't that what he said in Genesis 3.15? The seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan? That was a promise of the coming Messiah. That was a promise of the coming Christ that would set right what Adam and Eve had set wrong. That would forgive sin and pay the sin debt for the sin that began all the way back in the garden. And I think they had told Cain and Abel this whole time. The Bible says in the process of time these things happened. The Bible doesn't specifically say it, but I believe that process of time means over a long period. I don't think this I don't think this was probably not the first time they had ever sacrificed. I think this is something that happened on a regular basis. I think this is something that Adam and Eve had taught them to do on a regular basis, to taught their sons to worship on a regular basis. Let me ask you something, parents. How important is it that we teach our children how to worship in spirit and in truth? If they're going to know how to worship, how many of you know we've got to teach them? We've got to tell them. Every child that is born into this world is born into sin and therefore born in rebellion to God who is holy. Do you know that? 
and children left for their own devices, guess what they're going to become? Bigger rebels. They're going to keep rebelling. And that's not going to get better. That's going to get worse unless we teach them. Can you say amen? And so thank you for teaching your children. Thank you for making sure your children are under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and faithfully worshiping in spirit and in truth. And if you're not doing that, you better. You better make sure they're continually being pointed to Christ. Amen? It's important. It's powerful. Are all of them going to get it? No. I wish I could tell you that all of them would. But the Bible does not make that claim. You say, oh, brother, it says that they, if we teach them young, they, they won't depart from it when they're old. That is not a direct promise that your children are always going to live for the Lord. It's not. Matter of fact, I think Adam and Eve taught both Cain and Abel. One of them became a minister and one of them became a murderer. But all we can do as parents is do our best to keep pointing them to Jesus. To keep sharing with them what true worship is all about. What truly serving the Lord is all about. I remember years ago, I was preaching at a, another church before I came here. And we had a family that was faithful, man. They were there every time the doors were open. I mean, um, you could count on them. They were faithful to the things of God, loyal to the work that God was doing in them and through them in the church. And then all of a sudden, they just quit coming to church. You know, I didn't see them for three or four Sundays there. And I called them and, and tried to encourage them. And, you know, they, they just they didn't come back. And so I, I, I went and visited them, went over to their house. One Sunday evening, I said, look, man, I, I just want to know what's going on talking to the husband. You know, what, what's happening here? Because it, it's not, uh, this, this ain't normal for you guys not to be, you know, in, in, in the worship of the Lord and serving the Lord. You know, you're, you've always been faithful. He said, oh, brother, there ain't nothing wrong. I said, you sure now? No, look, I, I ain't hurt your feelings or, or somebody else had to hurt your feelings. You ain't got no trouble. He said, no, ain't no problem with nobody at the church. I said, well, what's, what's going on? He said, well, it's, just, it's my daughter. She just don't want to come anymore. And I said, really? He said, yeah, she just, she, she don't want to come to church, and so I just don't think I ought to make her. And so I told him, I said, well, well let me ask you this. Do you make her go to school? Well, of course. Brothers, we've got to make her go to school. I said, let me ask you this. When, when, when you sit down at dinner at night, do you make her eat good food? Well, yeah, it's, it's, she's got to eat good food. She's going to live. And I said, so what you're telling me is you think it's important for you to make your child go to school so that she can learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. And you think it's important to make your children eat good food so that they'll grow big and strong. But you don't think it's necessary and important to teach your children 
what it means to serve the Lord and worship the Lord and be faithful to the Lord and give them truth that not only changes their life now but changes their eternity forever. You don't think that's important? He said, well, I never thought of it like that. But I'm going to tell you something. We better think of it like that. Should we make our children come to church? Absolutely. As long as my kids are under my roof, they're going to come. I can't change what's going to happen after they leave my home. Parents, none of us can. There'll come a time when they make their own decisions. There'll come a time when they go their own way. I get all that. I'm there right now. But I'll tell you this. While they're under my room, roof, as for me and my house, just like Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, if they like it, fine. And if they don't like it, fine. I'm going to keep praying for them. I'm going to keep loving them. But I want you to know, they're not running my house either. Amen? What was happening in that father's house? A 12-year-old kid was making the most important decision for the family. We cannot do that. We must not do that. It's important that we continually, consistently share with them what it means to worship rightly in spirit and in truth. If you believe it, say amen this evening. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir when I'm saying this to the Wednesday night crowd. I get it. But I still believe it needs to be said. And if you don't mind, tell everybody else I said it. Amen. Let them know. Abel knew. I believe Cain knew. Cain made a choice to worship wrongly for the wrong reasons. Abel made a choice to worship rightly for the right reason. Now, how many of you understand that consequences or choices have consequences? So tonight, I don't, not only do I want you to do the contrast in their worship, but also the consequence of their worship. Verse number five. But unto Cain and to his offering, God had no respect. And Cain was very wroth. He is angry and his countenance fell. Do you see it? And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallest? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lies at your door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. What's God saying to Cain? I had a man ask me something years ago, why God was being so cruel to Cain when Cain had worked so hard. What I see in Genesis chapter 4 is the difference in religion and righteousness. Righteousness and unrighteousness. Amen? Now, Abel was honored by God because Abel honored God with his worship of faith. Cain 
was not respected by God because Cain didn't respect God with his worship. But God in his amazing grace speaks to Cain. And he says, look, why are you mad? Why are you, why are you, why are you pouting? Why, are you, why is your countenance falling? If you'll do what's right, your offering will be accepted just like your brother's. If you do what I've required, <laughs> which is point forward in faith to the coming Savior, then guess what? All this will be good. You'll be good. But if you don't, there will be consequences to your action. Do you see that? God is giving him the chance to do what is right in what God wants. Cain made the decision to not do that. But there were consequences for it. God says, look, I'm not accepting the offering that you've given. If thou doest well, verse 7, thou shalt not be accepted. Shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lies at your door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now this is amazing to me. When I read this and was studying for this this evening, I began to realize that the first murder, murder was created because of, or, or, or happened because of religion. That's exactly what it was. Cain was angry that God didn't accept his self-righteous work and killed his brother. And I'm going to tell you something. There have been a lot of murders since, all because of dead religion. The story of Cain and Abel is the story of the difference in righteousness by faith and religion done by dead works. The Bible says that Cain spoke to his brother and said, hey, let's go, go to the field. When they got out there, he took a rock and killed him. Now, I just wonder if there were any left-wing types in that day who were out protesting that rocks should be banned. Might have been. But the truth remains the same today. No matter what tool you use, it's the evilness of men's hearts that murders others. Amen? It's amazing to me, we always try to pass the buck to everybody and everything else instead of dealing with the core issue. Out of pride, arrogance, hate for his brother, and anger towards God, Cain killed someone else. Not any other reason. Amen?
Luke chapter 11, verse number 11, is called by the Lord Jesus himself a prophet. I love this verse. Watch what it says. Luke chapter 11, excuse me, I gave you the wrong one. Luke chapter 11, not 11, but 51, brothers. Luke chapter 11, verse 51. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the last prophet slain, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. So Jesus said, the righteous blood of Abel will be remembered among the prophets. Why was he a prophet? He preached the truth through his act of worship, which was by faith. God had respect for that. God considered him righteous because of that. And I'm thankful today for all those who place faith in Jesus, looking back at the Savior, God still considers righteous. Anybody got anything, comments, or questions?